Now that true crime has become an obsessively popular genre, it is no surprise that when people find out we are forensic scientists, we are met with an outpouring of questions. Did you work that recent homicide? Yo, what does decomp smell like? You must love your job, huh? It's through questions like these that we have come to realize that you want more. I'm Bodine. And I'm Darby, and we are here to serve up the Coffee Talk version of everything you need to know about the science, laws, and people behind the yellow tape. Welcome to the Washoe County Sheriff's Office. Coffee with a Criminalist. Hi everyone, welcome to another mini episode. On this episode we are doing another Q&A because we got some more questions that we are excited to answer. Woohoo! Hi everyone! Um, Okay, so the first question is actually for me, so here we go. Um, How did you get Bodine from Brittany? So for those of you listening, my name is actually not Bodine. My legal name is Brittany. (laughs) I think this question came from someone who may have known you. Yes, it did. (laughs) Um, A lot of my friends and family were listening and they said, why in the world are you saying that your name is Bodine? My immediately family, my immediate family knew. And what it is, is that when I was born, uh, my parents were actually overseas. They were in Germany. And my dad wanted to name me Bodine, and my mom said, no, we're not going to name her Bodine. So they went with Brittany, and they didn't know that it was kind of a fad back in the States at the time. Everybody was naming their daughters Brittany. And then my dad just kind of rebelled against my mom. He always called me that. I've always been his Brittany Bodine. That's what he's always called me. Um, And so then when I got to the crime lab at the time, because Brittany had been such a fad, there were three of us working, and we have an overhead paging system that became a nightmare for all of these Brittany's. And so they said, is there a nickname that we can call you? And I said, yeah, Bodine. And so it's normal for me, like at work, I'm called Bodine. And when we started doing this project, it's just so normal for me in the work setting to say, hi, I'm Bodine. And then when it started and we had everything recorded, I was like, yep, I'm Bodine (laughs) for the rest of the season and forever. Where'd your dad get that name? I don't really remember. I... I've heard a few different things, and I can maybe I'm just remembering wrong. I might have to ask him in the future. But I thought it was that he knew a girl in high school with that name and okay. just thought it was a cool name. And also, it's a restaurant in the South. Um, and so, it's Bodine's Diner, I think. Okay. And, yeah. And so, I've always been called that at home, and now everybody else calls me that, too. And so, I was like, I met you as Bodine at work. That's like you had already been Bodine, and I met you at work. And so... It's so weird for me to hear people call you Brittany now. Mm-hmm. So. And it's very funny because, like, outside of work, I'm I'm Brittany. Mm-hmm. And so my wife met me as Brittany. Mm-hmm. And then when she hangs out with all of you guys, she's like, Bodine, oh, yeah, that's you. <laughs> and then when I hang out with my parents, like, it's not weird to us at all. Like, my dad has always called me. It was actually Brittany Bodine, his. And then he would insert something. So if I was, like, it was, like, Brittany Bodine, my dancing machine. Brittany Bodine, my hungry <laughs> machine. <laughs> that's when he always called me. So that's where that came from, you guys. Pretty funny, eh? Didn't know that. Yeah. Um, Another one of our questions was from our last mini episode was, why don't we process poop? Well, (laughs) we'll tell you. Um, It's because the bacteria and feces is actually really good at destroying DNA. So unless the poo is really fresh or had been frozen relatively quickly, it's really difficult to get a profile from. Um, So we just have decided here that we're not going to attempt that because oftentimes you don't get a usable profile. Yeah. So there are labs that that can Mm -hmm. do it. I think you found found a funny article about dog poop, right? Yeah. (laughs) I was reading a thing where um, I think uh, one of our coworkers actually said she lived in an apartment complex or somewhere in California that it did too. But Mm -hmm. I was reading an article about a um, apartment complex in New York City that you had to turn in your dog's DNA profile when you moved in. 
because if there was dog poop, they would collect it and send it out to these labs and would see who was not picking up their dog poop. Oh, okay. <laughs> so so yes, it can be done. It can be done. We just don't do it here. We don't do it. Mm-hmm. And the next question we got was, what is the definition or what is allele? And, you know, I thought twice about using that word in the episode, the Crystal Studman episode. Um, I just get really used to kind of our vernacular. It's and it everyday just, terminology. Yeah. So um, to explain allele, let's, let's back up a little bit. Um, on our last mini episode, we talked about PCR amping. And that's the process where we make copies of certain areas of the DNA. And the areas that we copy are called short tandem repeats, and we call them STRs for short. And to understand what an STR is, let's kind of remind you what DNA is. DNA is made up of four nucleotides. They are adenine, guanine, cytosine, and thymine. Um, And they are A, G, C, T. It's how we kind of code them for short. And you can think of DNA like a twisted ladder where these base or nucleotides, A, G, C, and T, make up the rungs of your ladder. And there are some backbones to the ladder that are the sides of your ladder, and then it gets twisted. So it just looks like a big twisted ladder all wound up inside your cells. And when we look at these short tandem repeats, the cool thing about them is that the sequence, and when we talk about sequences, we talk about the order in which the A, the G, the C, and the T fall in. And so on your DNA, they are in all different types of arrangements, and that's what's making up the sequence of your DNA. And so, for example, one of our STRs might be the repeating unit A, T, C, and G. But what's different is that how many times Darby will repeat that A, T, C, and G is variable between how many times I might repeat that. So we all have the same sequence or arrangement of these nucleotides, but it's variable between us how many times they repeat. And so when we talk about these repeats, it's how many repeats is what an allele is. So let's say Darby repeats this sequence four times and I repeat it six times. Her allele is a four and mine is a six. And because you get half your DNA from your mom and half from your dad, you will have two copies of this sequence, uh, one from each parent. So Darby might be a 4-5 and I might be a 7-8. And so when we talk about alleles, that's actually what we are describing is those repeating units at those specific locations. And essentially that's how we get your DNA profile yep. from those alleles. Yeah, and so we don't actually get a sequence. Like, we don't read A, T, C, G, 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 C, T. We read 4, 5, 15, 16, 26, 22. Um, And... Could we figure out what that sequence is by like painstakingly writing that out? We certainly could. Um, but your profile for us looks like a bunch of peaks and valleys and numbers. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. Our next question is, can someone with a degree in criminal justice be in forensics? Well, in our lab, all of our analysts have at least a bachelor's in a field of science, like biology, chemistry, biochem. Um, And depending on what section you're in, there are other requirements or specific classes that you have had to take in order to qualify for the position. So, for example, in DNA, we're all required um, per the quality assurance standards by the FBI. We had to have taken a statistics course at some point, among other things, to qualify to be in DNA. 
Yeah, so you can have different um, degrees for sure, mm -hmm. but you do have to meet those specific class requirements in DNA and certain credit requirements for other um, specialties. So if you're interested in working in forensics, you could always reach out to your local crime lab. You could Google it um, and see what those requirements are. And it changes from state to state to what is a requirement to work in forensics. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay, some fun questions. The other ones were fun too, but these ones are a little bit quirky. So the first one is, what is the strangest thing you have ever gotten a profile from? And we posed this question in the DNA section. And uh, the best one that I liked was a lip gloss wand. One of our analysts said that she actually took just a small cutting of the fuzzy part of a lip gloss wand and was able to get a DNA profile from it. Well, it's pretty cool. I really couldn't think of anything that was like weird that I got a DNA profile on. But I know people have talked about when um, some, for some reason, when people go and burglarize homes, they like to eat food and yeah. leave it behind mm -hmm. often it happens often yeah i would say um so i thought that was pretty interesting that they'll collect the food and have gotten pretty good profiles on from where people have taken a bite out of something yeah a bite of an apple or a cookie mm -hmm. we say that burglars get hot and hungry yeah. and take off their clothing and eat your food so it happens <laughs> quite often actually and i always thought that was really interesting when i started here yeah and our next question is, how do you get DNA profile from blood if red blood cells don't have a nucleus? Which, by the way, um, whoever sent this question in was, you must have a science background because yes. it's a very good question. <laughs> You're correct that mature red blood cells Correct. do not have a nucleus, um, so they do not contain DNA. But we're actually getting a DNA profile from other things in blood, such as white blood cells that are rich in DNA. And the next question is, how do you tell identical twins apart in forensics? Another really good question. So uh, the, the first answer to that is that identical twins do not have the same fingerprints, which is pretty cool. So no one else on earth has your same fingerprint, even your identical twin, if you have one. Um, in DNA, your identical twin has your exact same profile. So in DNA, we couldn't distinguish identical twins from well, each other. Well, as of... So for STR analysis, which we is can't. what we do, we can't tell you apart. Yes. But the cool thing is, and Sequencing. we're going to have, yeah, an episode on this for you guys later in the season. It's called Next Gen Sequencing. And it is actually no longer Next Gen. We're currently doing it. So it's kind of weird to call it Next Gen at this point. So I called it in college. Um, but when you sequence, so when we talked about those STRs, I told you guys that we don't actually get the A, T, C, G. For an STR, we just get a number. So four, five. Um, but you can sequence someone's DNA, and you can actually read out those nucleotide, those base pairs. Um, and the very cool thing, this is, this is like me geeking out and nerding out on you guys, is identical twins will have base pair or nucleotide that is different between them. So while they still have a four repeating at that location, or a four, four, five, let's say, one of them might have a little mutation. And so while it's still a four, five, where it should be a T, it's now a C or an A in the other twin. And so if you can sequence the evidence in a case and sequence the reference samples from two individuals that are identical twins you can potentially tell them apart so currently we cannot at this lab at this lab there are ways i think it's really exciting and i think i nerd out quite a bit so i thought this was a really good question because i don't really know but we will take a good guess at this one yeah is, so this is not a scientific <laughs> this answer not, this, <laughs> this is just, just us, us brainstorming um, here our opinions it says why do you think people are so into true crime and why has it become so popular lately 
Well, as far as the whole lately thing, um, I believe, well, I mean, I grew up watching Forensics Files, mm-hmm. and I Googled it, and it's been around since 1996, okay. um, and has been on television for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. So the fascination, I feel like, has always been there mm-hmm. with true crime. Um, however, now with, like, our access to everything, as far as, like, streaming platforms, we just have, it's so much more, like, readily available that I think recently it's you've seen this like massive increase in interest in it just because it's It's readily available yeah and Mm -hmm. i was thinking about too um while access to like forensic files or the tv show csi is there almost everything that you need i I was thinking about this the other day so when i was in elementary school if you wanted to know something you had to go to the library right and you had to check out an encyclopedia (laughs) and you had to make sure that somebody else didn't have that encyclopedia checked out a or b or whatever um and you had to research and you had to find like you know legitimate sources and books and i just remember the dewey decimal system and trying to go and find the book so it took so much effort right to go find these things And now everything is at our fingertips. If you want to know something, see something, I mean, you could practically virtually be in any place in the world you want with Google Maps, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And bird's eye view and all of that stuff. And I think one of the few things that people don't have ready access to is a crime scene. You can't get in there. You're not allowed back there. You don't have access to real forensic files, right? So the only place you're going to get those is from like shows like CSI or forensic files or, you know, watching trials on TV, and so I think that people always want what they can't have. And so that would also be mm-hmm. kind of one of my guesses is that because you're not allowed in the crime scene, because you're not, you know, we don't release results to the public. Those are things that are kind of like hidden, like you can't have them. And mm-hmm. so maybe that's where some of the fascination comes from. That's a really good way to think about it. I never really thought about that was that it was because, you know, people want what they can't have. Yeah. For our last question, it is, do you ever find your job boring? Okay, so for my supervisor, Steve Gresco, if you're listening, just, you know, plug your ears because, yeah. Um, You know, like, all jobs have mundane things. They just, they do. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we do things like scan in paperwork and check, you know, check certain things and make sure that you're attaching it to the right case because we're all electronic now. And so while it's like super mundane and the things that you're doing, you also kind of have to be like in a heightened state of awareness too, because you have to make sure you're putting everything in the right place and, you know, doing everything. So yeah, absolutely. Just like any, we'll just use like air quotes, normal job. There's boring things. I mean, like we have a once a month mandatory lab clean day for the DNA section. So yeah, things are kind of <laughs> kind of boring sometimes, for sure. And, you know, just like with any other normal job, we have things that, you know, get you all fussy. Like don't, you will be damned if you are the last person to take a mask out of the, you know, mask box in the hallway and not replace it. Like everyone <laughs> is going to be mad at you, you know? Be very angry. Yes. Yeah. You don't replace the things that you use up. Yeah, and so you go into the lab and you have a day where you're just nothing's replaced. Everything is, you know, last tube. You got to thaw new stuff out. So just like any other job, like there's all of those things that come with it, I think. Yeah, for sure. I know, especially too, when we were going transitioning from like paper to electronic, there was a lot of like data entry. Mm -hmm. That was a lot of, you know, mundane, same thing. And there was so much of it that it wasn't like... There was no end in sight. So mm-hmm. <laughs> for the foreseeable future, you were doing data entry. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there's uh, there's always stuff like that that I would definitely say, too. Yeah, parts yeah. of our jobs are boring. And I think that, like, review, especially you doing um, outsourcing review right now um, can be 
probably very boring. I'm not going to speak for you, but I can imagine. I see you over there with your spreadsheets. <laughs> <laughs> yes, all of my spreadsheets, keeping them organized. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't say that it's, like, super boring, the review part, but um, it, some of the, like, you know, data entry and mm-hmm. keeping track of things and doing things to keep track of things um, can get boring mm-hmm. sometimes um, just because there's an, a large amount and a large amount of time that you have to do invest in these things to get it done right. Yeah, so. and I think the one good thing about our job, though, is that um, for all of the mundane normality about our job, we do get those, you know, super rush, drop everything, get these results, you know, out the door, stay the night do everything you can and the amount of adrenaline that you get in those instances and I think that I mean I'm not going to speak for all of the division but I know that other sections get these rush cases and things too that in my opinion offset the other mundane tasks and maybe more so than other jobs for like normal jobs Mm -hmm. just because it's really worth it it is worth that like you know go 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 get these results find the answer um try and you know help an investigation and it's all worth it for those days of like mundane Excel spreadsheets. Yeah. (laughs) I would have to agree 100% with you. Well, you guys, that concludes another mini session with us. Thank you so much for continuing to support us, to, for you tuning in and listening each and every week. We really, really appreciate it. Um, Remember to keep sharing our podcast with your friends and listening every week. And submitting those questions. And as always, you guys, please stay tuned. There'll be a short trailer of what you can expect on our next episode. Bye, guys. According to the CDC, one in three women and one in six men will suffer sexual violence in their lifetime. For the last 20 years, the month of April has been dedicated to the topic of sexual assault. Over the years, this month has been used to raise visibility on the topic of sexual assault and prevention through discussions with the community about ways to stop sexual assault before it happens. Join us next week on the last day of the month to keep the discussion going. We will be discussing rape kit backlogs across the United States and how Northern Nevada addressed this issue. Hear from a sexual assault nurse practitioner who explains the process of a SART exam and what to do if you or someone you know becomes a survivor of sexual assault.